In 2016, I went to my first Invasion Day rally. At the time, I didn't know what Australia Day symbolised for Aboriginal communities. All I knew was that black suffering needed to end and as an ally, I had to stand alongside my black brothers and sisters in their fight for justice. On today's episode of Accent of Women, I speak to Mariki Onis from the Gunai and Gunjumara nations and one of the co-founders of Warriors of Aboriginal Resistance. Mariki talks to Accent about grassroots organising, the influence her family and elders have on her activism, and why Australia Day should be abolished. And now, let's hear from Mariki Onis. Hi Mariki, welcome to Accent of Women. Hello Ayan, how are you? Thank you. No, thank you for coming on. I know you're super busy. We're a week and a bit away from what I think is going to be one of the biggest protests Melbourne has seen in a while. Since last year. Since last year, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping. I really am hoping. Um, can you start us off by telling us a bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, my name is Mariki Onis and I'm from the Gunai and Gundijmara Nations. I organise with a group called Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance and I'm one of the organisers of the um, Invasion Day rally coming up next week. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what else you want to know. Yeah, well, there's heaps that I want to know. <laughs> I want to know, let's start from, because it's important that we acknowledge those that came before us. Oh, yes. Your family is very prominent in um, grassroots organization, uh, organizing, um, especially the women from your community. Can you tell us about the Ernest clan? Yes, I can. I will. I do have to um, declare I'm actually not biologically an Onus. Um so, but I, you know, I identify as an honest woman. I have permission to carry this name. You know how we all come from blended complex families. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we will say that. But I am inspired by Annie Sissy Onus, who I knew, and she was a, you know, a great organizer and a great strong Aboriginal woman within our community. And, you know, Uncle Bruce McGuinness, another Onus man who I look up to and, I was lucky to know before he passed away, but mm. I think, um, and I'm pretty sure he's known as the godfather of um, community control for Aboriginal people in Victoria. Whoa. Um, and then there's Bill and Eric Onus, who um, I think they started the first Aboriginal-only organisation. <sighs> Gary Foley, don't quote me on this. <laughs> I think it was it was sometime in the... Um, in the early 1900s, and it's a really interesting story, actually. Um, Please do share. African sailors used to come into the docks of Sydney, Navy men or sailors, uh, with the word of Marcus Garvey. Mm. And so that obviously resonated with um, Aboriginal men in the docks, and I'm pretty sure it was an onus man, I can't remember which one, and a few other people. Um, Pearl Gibbs was one of them. I can't remember who who the other organisers were, but um, yeah, they they heard the word of um, Marcus Garvey and it resonated with our mob, and we were like, "No, well, we're not African, so but we are black, and we'll just start our own organisation." Mm-hmm. So, you know, from that was the birth of community control and self determination, um, in the modern political sense. Obviously, we've practiced community control for time. But, um, you know, 
after after colonization came to our shores um that's when yeah so it's a really interesting story when you say community control what, what does that mean um so community control is is just is our community's um form of self-determination so mm. self-determination is uh, by us for us by us um it's it's strongly linked to black nationalism or mm. Aboriginal nationalism. And so Aboriginal community control was the prince, guiding principle to a lot of the Aboriginal community controls, tr- controlled organisations that were set up in Victoria, um, I think in the 1970s. Mm. And, you know, that came, what came from that was the Aboriginal Health Service, the Aboriginal Legal Service, and many other Aboriginal organisations, and it is still a guiding principles principle today. However, I do think that um, modern governments have found ways to infiltrate um, community control as it stands. So we've got to come back better, more independent, more grassroots, mm. um, and have different ways of thinking. Mm. So yeah, a little bit of that. But yeah, I'm, I, I come from. A lot of strong families from so-called Victoria. Um, from, from, I'm not only from the, closely linked to the owner's family and carry their name with pride, but come from the King family. Come from very strong King fam- King women who, um, <clears throat> you know, who looked after family and communities um, after the devastation of um, dispossession and the missions and child pro- uh, uh, not child protection, the stolen generations. Um, and, you know, my family are part of the formation of community within uh, – and the Thorpe, sorry. Yeah. I can't forget about my Thorpe family. Uh, all of them were very much a part of the, the, the formation of the community after dispossession from missions and moving people off missions and um, the Stolen Generations period in the 1970s. Um, they were all part of forming um, the community in, in – Fitzroy, and I do have to acknowledge my great grandmother, who's my matriarchal grandmother. It's mm. my mother's mother's mother. She, um, yeah, she was one of the main people that organised the Aboriginal Community Control. Uh, sorry, the Aboriginal Health Centre, and that was for uh, it wasn't for all Aboriginal people. She, I remember hearing her do a speech when she was younger. She said that that organisation was made for the parkies. It was made for the Aboriginal people who had no opportunity. Oh, so yeah. it was helped to help get them basic health care and to get them um, their uh, welfare sorted out mm. and to minimise the impact of living on the streets. So, um, yeah, my, my family were very conscious of class as well. So, um, yeah, there you go. I went on a lot about mm. my family, but they are the strong matriarchal powerhouses that I'm grateful for yeah. and, yeah. And I can imagine a lot of people um, in your community are also grateful and the larger community as well who have also most likely benefited. What's been your journey into organising? I don't know. Like I just, you know, I just grew up with my family, especially my Thorpe family. Actually, all of my family, they are different. You know, I come from very strong families on both sides, my you know, mum and dad. And my dad is like really... Um, rigid about his definition of community control and he really holds on to the word of um, Uncle Bruce McGuinness and he's contributed a lot through that. And then, you know, there's my mum and 
my grandmothers and my mum's siblings, like Uncle Robbie Thorpe and Auntie Lisa and Auntie Glenda, mm. and my mum, and I just remember them sitting all around the table all the time discussing community politics and, um, you know, whether they're just so hard on themselves and just so you've got to come correct and you've got to get it right. Um, but you've got to speak out and you've, you know, uh, they didn't say that, but that was probably the sense I got from growing up listening to them mm. um, talk around the kitchen table. But, my, you know, my mum was always involved, always organising. Um, she always, you know, show up. She uh, she had a lot to do with the Aboriginal Health Service as well. Um, but, you know, she's she's been a strong follower of the um, the... the Aboriginal Ten Embassy movement and mm. for as long as I can remember, I remember mum going down there for meetings and catching up with all different people that were involved and talking politics and, you know, um, linking with the mob down Tassie because um, they're, you know, very strong organisers down there and, you know, so just growing up I just followed mum doing, followed mum around doing a lot of different things but my mum was, you know, in the 90s things were a bit different. Like people had and, you know, people... For some reason, people just had faith, mm. and that was out of the 1970s um, and the 80s, where you know Aboriginal community control was really strong, and um, you could say that we were probably closer to freedom then than we are now. Our communities weren't gentrified; we were we had like mm. full control over That's our organisations. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, but you know, you know, um, gentrification has absolutely changed the landscape of our community. Um, but yeah, I, I I think they had a little bit of hope from taking taking Aboriginal community control principles built on grassroots movements to shape and form what's going on federally and nationally and organising as a collective. And I think it's unique to Aboriginal people that we're we're actually more nationalised than I think most other um, races around the world. Like we we have a flag that represents all of us around the country mm. and, you know, I can't speak for everyone but we generally accept that we are all one, you know, kind of there is a national, um, yeah, an acceptance of each other. So, yeah, I'm not yeah. sure what my point is but, yeah, in the 90s mum was really involved in a lot of national work as well. So um, although we, I think that nowadays, I, and I have to really point out that I don't, I think that while I think some people do ha- can do good work there but I think... Now we know for sure that any movement and anything that we do and any progress that we have has to come from grassroots and has to come on the ground and it has to be local because we're all really different realistically. And I think if you play with the federal government and in their step, then you immediately lose as well. You already lose. Can you tell us about War Collective? Yeah, so... Myself and three other Aboriginal people, well, actually, I mean, I'm have been talking about a youth movement for time. They've always been like, who's going to take up the fight? You know, they're worried that they're just going to die and no young Aboriginal, you know, this is, you know, a lot of old, older Aboriginal activists will say to you that we were just worried that there would be, that, you know, that there would be no one else to hand the baton on to. But, you know, the young people... Uh, that's a long story, but yeah, mm. um, and those are real concerns because that, that's how it's always been. You pass the baton, and 
And if the baton isn't passed... And you can only hope that it gets passed down to the next people, but if they're not interested and, you know, they're just trying to work and survive, then that's, true. then that's fair enough. You know, there's no criticism, but, you know, I think there was a lot of fear that there would be no... Um, yeah, I'm only really talking from my own experience in my own community. Mm. But there would be no one else to really take up the fight. But, yeah, we went to – we travelled to um, so-called Canada, Turtle Island, and a few other – three other Aboriginal people. Mm-hmm. We talked about – and I have to say that the idea of war came out of Brizzy. Um, and Bo and Callum were really driving forces to um, – they were like – calling people and calling young Aboriginal people all around the country saying, do you want to be a part of this? We want to start a youth movement, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I got in touch with them. My mum was like, you know, Brisbane Blackfellas, they're doing a lot of stuff. And I was like, mm, not sure, mum. <laughs> I was kind of like in my own little world. But anyway, mum put me onto this fella, these two fellas, Bo, Bo Spiram and Callum Clayton Dixon. We had a yarn and... um you know, just young and we were just like, yeah, let's do something. But, you know, I was just like, yeah, yeah, cool. I'm down for whatever. I'll just come along for the ride and wow. want to come. And can't believe you started off like this considering where you're at now. <laughs> okay, go on. Sorry. I know, I know. Um, and then we went on the trip too. But we did, you know, we read a lot and, you know, it was informed by Aboriginal nationalism, um, Teyugi Alfred, um, obviously the Black Panther movement. You could probably see some of the very similar themes. Um uh, or like a whole mix of things, like uh, uh, Gary Foley was a big inspiration, um, Uncle Robbie, uh, a lot of Aboriginal women like my mum and um, Isabel Coe. Um, there were so many. You can't just say that you start something. Like this was a long time coming and we don't even own it. We just like contributed our bit and did our best and, you know, we're not leaders or you know, paving the way. We're just walking in the footsteps of people before us. Mm. Um, and we're doing it with our own flavour. There are some things that we do that our elders don't always agree with, but we're like, well, we have to do things a bit differently and put our own flavour on it or probably make push the boundary or, or make mistakes or, mm. you know, we just have to learn our way. Anyway, it just turned out like it did. And cut a long story short, we, we come up with this group called where is the aboriginal resistance we did admittedly the acronym is provocative and that was intentional um but we were like well we were born in uh, a state of war and i think people pacify it a lot and they forget that there is a war and it never ended it's the longest going war in this country and we have to resist it we can't reform it I hate to interrupt this interview, but a few reminders before we return to Mariki. If you'd like to know more about war and their upcoming events, go to their website, www.invasionday.org. You can also check out their Facebook page, War Collective. Now let's return to Mariki Onus as she explains why the Invasion Day rally is also about remembrance. That's the point of difference. And, yeah, I mean, yes, protest is about reform if you really think about it, but it's a day to remember the widespread massacres. But it is a form, it's a type of resistance against Australia Day and against Australian nationalism. Mm. Um, And we're not calling to reform Australia Day and we're not calling to reform Australia. And that's why we want, that's why we don't want 
um, change a date because we don't want to reform Australia Day. We want to abolish it. We want to abolish white nationalism. And, you know, the Australia paved the way for white nationalism in this country. Settler colonialism is a breeding ground for white nationalism. So why not abolish it? Why not abolish the systems that continue to oppress us over and over and over again? And I think that what gets away, what gets caught up and with white fragility and settler fragility is that they think that we want everyone to go home and or like abolish them. It's mm. not. We don't want another form of supremacy. Mm. We want to live in a society where we're not, it's not... Um, it's not at our expense anymore. Mm. It should not come out at our expense. And you know, highly, I've heard highly privileged people say, well, this is the best system we've got. No, it's not. We've lived in this country and this land for 60,000 years. It is absolutely not even close to the best system you've got. We can actually live without poverty, we can live without prisons, and we can live without oppression. Mm. Um, but we have to remove things like... Um, the prison industrial complex. We have to destroy capitalism. We have to do that. This has to be um, a movement built on destroying settler colonialism within Australia mm. and establishing Aboriginal sovereignty. This mm. is what we mean by abolish Australia Day. Yeah. We don't just want to abolish the day. We want to abolish the system that continues to oppress mm. us as well. And I've noticed that keeps getting lost in the conversation that everyone thinks if it's held on another day, it will be better. Well, to be honest, if we had changed a date, it would be a little bit more convenient for me because it's just not in January. But we will never stop. It's been so good to see, you know, Asians Against Australia Day come out, um, our Muslim contingent. Hmm. Um, there's been so much more solidarity this year, that and, and Jews Against Fascism and... So many more. Um, And it's just, it's really important that we stick together and do this work together Um, because, you know, it's powerful when we stand together and not take over but stand in solidarity with. Mm. And you're organising, war at least, is organising resistance, decolonising solidarity. Yes. What are we hoping to achieve from that day? Well, we've got a few panel members. We've got Sharon Dev Singh. Um, Idul Ali and Claire Land who wrote Decolonising Solidarity Um, we've got Crystal McKinnon Um, she's an Aboriginal woman from Perth but she's going to talk about what it's like to live in the city you know as an interstate black fella here Mm. Um, I think we've got um, Carolyn Martin she's a Boonarong woman um I should have probably introduced them all on who mm. they are, but yeah. um, I'll be I'll be moderating the panel, right. so I better get my stuff in order because it's a really high caliber yeah, yeah. Um, panel, and I'm really excited to see what we can get out of it. But mm. um, Idul and Sharon Dev um, have shown, and yeah, I mean it's hard to say Crystal shows solidarity because she's a black woman. Mm. Um, but, yeah, Idol and – oh, so is Idol, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, for sure, <laughs> um, for sure. No, they – I'm just hoping that other people can learn how to do solidarity with Aboriginal community yeah. um, and do the work. I think it's really – what's missing in the left, the so-called left, it's really frustrating because the left – in order for the left to exist, there has to be settler colonialism. Um, and I don't think there's ever that nuanced – I don't ever th- – I don't think – 
the the left think about how to center sovereignty in the work that you do. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping that people in the left can come along, mm. learn about how to center sovereignty. Um, learn from people that are doing it right and getting it right um, and see if we can come up with better ways of working together. Mm. Um, and there, because- was a, there was a perfect example you made um, away from this conversation that we're having about how everybody benefits when those who are most oppressed. Did you want to say more about that? Yeah. I, th- I thought that was a fabulous point. Yeah, so, I mean... This point's been made a few times. I, I saw two people speak about it who I thought it was quite eloquently. I know it because I've heard my mum talk about it a lot. But you know when you grow up hearing it all the time, it's good to hear from the outside. You know what I mean? Mm. It's not that you don't appreciate the inside yarn, but you're not, mm. you, you want to hear it. It's just good. It's confirming and yeah. to hear it from, you know, other people that are, you respect and who you think, you know, um, do really good work. And Sharon Dev Singh and Angela Davis I think they're both they're two people that have made this point that are it really resonated with me. But if we center the because racism and sexism and settler colonialism um, are all are all impact Aboriginal women. Um, we are the ones that are most impacted by oppressive violent systems. So if we organise around the experiences of Aboriginal women and to stop that, everybody else would benefit by extension. But if we ignore that, so for example, if we only organise around the racism that um, another group here experiences, then you're only going to centre that group and miss Aboriginal people. Whereas if you organise around race, on racism around Aboriginal people, by extension, everybody else will benefit. Mm. So, yeah, if you ex- centre the experiences of Aboriginal women in your work, that's what we mean by centre the experiences. We don't mean give me the microphone and I'll take over and just have my say all the time, mm. which I think is fine. I, we mean if you literally centre the experiences of Aboriginal women in prison, queer women, trans women, Aboriginal women then everybody benefits from that. Mm. And that's, you know, a lot of people have written about how that's why we should stay away from white feminism because it only centres the experience of highly privileged people. Yeah. Uh, and it's dangerous and it's a form of white supremacy. Yeah, and it doesn't even privilege all white people. It's just yeah. very, very wealthy white women, mm. white feminism. Yeah. Yeah, white feminism needs the current structure in place in order for them to benefit from all the other privileges that they benefit from. I suppose what I would like to say is get involved, get behind us. Um, We're going to release a flyer with grassroots organisations and initiatives from Aboriginal communities where you can pay your rent to or send solidarity money to um, we've released a website, which is really the first time we've, I think we've ever, I could be wrong, um, in Victoria. It's the first website that we've had um, in Victorian war. Yes. Um, it's called invasionday.org. You can get involved through there. Come to our Remembrance Day, our rally, wear black, bring flowers, 
There's going to be a lot of banners. Yeah, there's different ways that you can support. But one thing I really like to push is people to financially support the work and the organising that we're doing within community Um, because that's where the work is. Like this march is important but it's it's not the silver bullet. And I don't want people to think that just because 60,000 people come to a rally, it's not going to change anything for our, in our lives. It's the work that we do in the other 364 days of the year mm. um, that will make an impact on destroying the system or um, working and improving Aboriginal people's lives. So um, it's great that we protest. Oh, a- another way you can help is to do a pay stops as well. Um, there, the links are on our Facebook page. Um, mm. It's Nam Melbourne Invasion mm. Day protest, and you'll find our links there. Thank you so much for joining us on Accent of Woman, Mariki. Yeah, it's been so good. Thank you, Ayan. Really appreciate it. No worries. I hope you can come back again. Of course, anytime. Thank you. That was Mariki Onis from the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance listing the many ways we can support war and Aboriginal sovereignty. Accent of Woman is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ayan Shirwak.